Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I moseyed over to Killer Burger today in West Lynn. We'll be broadcasting from that location just 10 days from now on a Friday. Friday, November 17th, 3 to 6 p.m. Join us for a live broadcast at Killer Burger in West Lynn, Oregon. The mean streets of West Lynn, as Chael Sonnen used to say, or Kevin uh, Kevin Pritchard, Peyton Pritchard uh, said as well. Ryan Karchi joining us from Southern California. He is uh, working at the Los Angeles Times. He's covering USC football. He's been busy. They had a big week, and he's joining us now. Uh, big newsy week for you. How are you doing, man? I'm, uh, you know, just used to it by now. <laughs> I gotta hydrate. Always Make sure. going on. Yeah, it's better than it's better than it being boring, right? And uneventful. I mean, you got a great beat that people are interested in, and you know, there's a Heisman Trophy winner on it, and high-profile people. But were you surprised at the timing of it, or was it one of those one of those firings? Uh, Alex Grinch, uh, D coordinator, is it one of those firings that everybody sees coming? Well, I think everyone assumed that it was going to happen eventually. I, I think, you know, there might have been questions about whether Lincoln Riley would wait until the end of the season. Was there still a thought that because, you know, this is a coach who he's went to bat for on several occasions by this point, uh, kept him last season, you know, maybe there's no sense in getting rid of him before these last two games. But I think that game against Washington really changed the tenor of everything. And I you could just tell even from the players after the game that, you know, it, it seemed like the defense had sort of lost its mojo. And uh, I don't know that it was going to be able to be salvaged. And when you look at the path ahead for USC, it's still not impossible that they could compete for the Pac-12 title. Uh, you know, granted, that'll take winning both of these next two games, which I think is probably unlikely. But, uh, you know, if there was any chance at all, they sort of saw it as, well, you know, we need to to make a move to salvage that chance. Now, um, I think ultimately this was going to happen no matter what. The fan fervor was just too loud at this point, and I think the interesting part of it is that you know, by doing this, Lincoln is sort of admitting tacitly that you know, it was a mistake to bring Alex Grinch back, and you know, that's the first you know major mistake we've seen him make at USC. So it will certainly be interesting to see if they handle this going forward, but I would imagine they don't wait too long in trying to execute the search. Ryan, how, how different are they uh, with a new coordinator calling the plays? Uh, how much can they change schematically in just uh, you know a short week? You know, I don't really think there's much they can do about, you know, the... the the issues they have talent-wise, some of the schematic problems. And even last week uh, against Washington, you know, Alex Grinch really changed the approach that he had taken. You know, dropped a lot more guys in the coverage, was trying to respect Michael Penix and the Washington uh, explosive pass game, and that really blew up in his face. So I don't know that it's really a matter of changing schemes so much as, you know, maybe you get that extra effect of, you know, changing the leadership, the new faces that are in charge. Maybe guys play especially hard for Sean Nua and for Brian Odom, the co-interim DCs. Uh, that's always possible, but that's uh, probably not the best week 
to face the number one offense in all of college football. So uh, not ideal in terms of breaking in a new guy. The, I, I kept asking defensive people who are smarter than me, coaches in the Pac-12, what's going on with USC's defense? And they, they talked about alignment. They talked about um, gap integrity. Uh, you know, they didn't say it was personnel-driven. Was it that simple in your mind? You, you've been there. You know, I think it's a mix of both to a degree. I, I think in some senses we, you know, this was a defense that as bad as they were last year, you know, the team kind of overachieved regardless. I mean, you know, they were among the best defenses in the nation at creating turnovers last season, and that aspect of the operation just sort of completely disappeared. Uh, now that's a normal regression sort of thing, but you know, that completely changed the tenor of, this defense's aggressiveness. So I do think, you know, there were certainly some coaching elements to the problems that were going on with USC's defense. Like you said, you know, gaps were not filled, you know, assignments were, you know, assignment mistakes were made. And I think ultimately that falls on the coach. Uh, but that said, I do think this is a defense that hasn't really had a good set of linebackers in many years. Uh, you know, the defensive line, while the, you know, the idea was that it would be rebuilt through the transfer portal, you haven't really seen a lot of those guys pan out. Um, and I think the secondary, you know, certainly hasn't developed to the level that it should when you have a guy like, you know, the former top prospect in the state, Damani Jackson, who really just hasn't panned out the way I think USC thought they would. So, you know, there's a lot of problems still to fix with this defense. I don't think anyone walking in is going to, solve it overnight, but certainly seemed like a new direction was needed, and, you know, it, it can't get much worse than it was last year. Now, you bring up a great point. The You know, the Las Vegas Raiders, they uh, fire their head coach and their GM, and they uh, play a lot better. You get a, kind of a boost of enthusiasm. Have you seen that in or heard that in talking to USC players and coaches this week? You know, this tonight it will kind of be our first chance to talk to players especially but you know I think to some degree this defense has been reeling for a while Um, I don't know if just you know axing Alex Grinch is going to be you know this one thing that that changes everything it's not like they hated Alex Grinch I know that Raiders example you know it was clear that the team didn't like Josh McDaniels by the end of that stretch so I don't think that's the case here, so you don't really get as much of the emotional boost. Um, but, I, you know, I think we'll see a little bit of improvement. Um, now, whether that's enough to stop Bonix and Bucky Irving and, and the like, I, I, I doubt it, personally. There was a lot of emotion at the end of the loss to Washington. Caleb Williams with his mom in the crowd. I mean, I thought that was an authentic scene. It just kind of uh, captures a lot of the uh, emotion of the game. What was the feeling in the wake of that that moment? Did was there a finality to what was going on? Did did USC realize, hey, we're probably not going to play for a conference championship? And you know, in in was there was it was part of it about Caleb Williams maybe not coming back for another year? You know, help me understand the emotion of that loss. Well, I think you can you can really sense in that that while they're not saying that a factual title is out of reach. I think for Caleb, you know, it was very clear that 
the goals that he'd had, the goals that I think he believed were very much attainable, whether it be a Pac-12 title or, you know, a second Heisman or even a college football playoff contention, uh, all of those are kind of out of reach now. Um, and I think, you know, he, he has taken losses hard in the past. I think that one especially has been sort of built up as this chance for, well, if USC can beat Washington, you know, suddenly they're back in this. The narrative can flip, you know, back to a more positive point. And I, that just didn't happen. And I think everyone kind of in that room realized that, you know, certain things are going to be out of reach now. And now what, you know, granted, the, the math still says that they can make it. And, you know, technically Caleb Williams could still be a candidate for the Heisman Trophy. But I think everyone just sort of got the sense in that moment that, you know, there was a, a bit of an end here, whether they, they want to acknowledge it publicly or not. All right, I want to throw a theory at you, and you tell me, feel free to shoot holes in it, but I had one coach in the Pac-12 say that USC's players are good enough but do not care enough. Too many transfers, too many individuals, too many guys willing to quit. Is Do you see that? Do you think there's a culture issue? And I don't think it's unique to USC, but with the portal and guys that are very transient and high-level players... Do you see the buy-in that's needed to win at the highest level? Yeah, I don't know that buy-in is necessarily the problem. Um, I think, you know, defensively especially, because that's where so much of the problems are. I mean, offensively, it's still one of the best offenses in college football. But defensively, I think, you know, physicality-wise or toughness-wise, I think you can barely quibble with where the team was heading. But... I don't know that I would lay blame on Lincoln Riley for the culture not quite being there. I mean, it's always tough. I mean, if your defense is bad, does that mean you're not a tough team? I don't know. Uh, now, granted, I think tackling-wise, that's been a major problem. Uh, and you look at a defense like Washington, who also has had some tackling issues. Or, sorry, it's also had some defensive issues, but it was a pretty good tackling team, at least from what I've seen. So I, I think there is... You know, you know, there's logic to that. That you know, maybe this could be a tougher program, but at the same time, I, I don't think Lincoln Riley has sort of lost these guys. I do think you're talking about the transfer portal and the impact of that. I, I think that's been a problem on the offensive line. That would be my own theory. Uh, you know, last year you had an offensive line that had four longtime starters or guys who had been together for a while at the very least, and. Now you, you really try to throw it together kind of on the fly through the transfer portal, and it made me it made me laugh seeing Dion say that the hmm. other day that he could just you know go into the portal and rebuild his offensive line. Well, USC tried to do that, and it has not worked. <laughs> it's not exactly just easy to find those guys and have them all click together. And I think you know in some degree maybe some of those transfers hadn't clicked in the way that we expected they would. But I think ultimately, like a lot of those guys. Now, there's a reason why people enter the transfer portal. They're not getting playing time somewhere. Often that's because they're not as good as the people in front of them. So if you're building an entire defense with that in mind, hmm. you know, chances are half of those guys aren't going to live up to maybe the hype that they have in, in moving. So I think that's been kind of uh, a, more of a problem, let's say, than the, the culture of the program. Ryan Karchi with us, Los Angeles Times, covers USC. Build a case for me for USC winning this game? What What is happening if USC wins this game? Ooh, good question. I think, 
you know, I, I think it, you know, maybe it's raining. Maybe there are fewer explosive plays, especially through the air um, and quick possessions. And maybe USC is able to get the run game going. It's pretty hard to build a case, honestly, at this point, because I, I just don't see USC slowing down Buck Irving. I don't see them getting enough pressure on Bo Nix. Um, I think you know, just the crowd and the, the weather is not ideal uh, for USC, especially given the, the state that they're in. Now, maybe they come out very motivated for this game, knowing that this is their last stand. You know, there's the new juice on the defense. Maybe there's three, four turnovers. I think turnovers could potentially turn that tide, but I just, I just don't see USC figuring it out in time, especially when you consider that you know there's potentially going to be rainy conditions, or and you know is Caleb Williams going to be at his best? So that's you know really any case with USC involves Caleb just going absolutely nuclear, which is. You know, always possible, and maybe it's a high-scoring game, and that's USC's saving grace. But it's going to be a tough one, I think. Ryan, I appreciate you. I will see you in the press box. Uh, safe travels, and have a good week. Thanks for having me. See you then. There it is, from the Los Angeles Times, getting it from their side. I'll be curious to see when he talks to players tonight if he sees an uptick of enthusiasm. I'll check in with him, and I'll let you know. Coming up, our big splash. Yeah, I did a little recon today. I went over to Killer Burger. I got myself a uh, classic uh, Killer Burger. That's the one with the pickles and the bacon on the burger. Steven, are you going to pop over to the remote broadcast? Are you uh, going to be in the office? What are you going to do, man? you going to come have a burger with me or no? I mean, if it's my choice, I'll be uh, out at Killer Burger. That's for sure. Uh, I, would lo- I would love to get a burger right now. And November- then yeah, Friday. November 17th, a week from Friday, we'll be in West Lynn from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Don't show up at 6.01. Show up at, uh, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock, 5. I don't know. Walk through the doors. I'll be there. Uh, That brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know. This is the big splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. It's a lot of fancy talk about taste buds. It's just a good burger. Uh, Look, uh, the Jets quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, hinted at a return for his timeline. First time since he tore his Achilles tendon. Aaron Rodgers revealed a vague timeline. And when I say vague, I mean vague. Uh, he, he hinted today that he could be back on the field in six weeks. One, two, three, four. He said a few fortnights. That's what he said during his weekly paid appearance on the Pat McAfee Show. Aaron Rodgers, eight weeks removed from surgery, uh, sparked some speculation about his return Monday night as the Chargers had their way with the Jets. I felt bad for Robert Sala. He's on the sideline, Jets coach. Did anybody look more disappointed than Robert Sala? Like, he just looked like a parent who was watching his kid strike out for the 14th time in a row, not saying a word, not wanting to show his disappointment. Just It was in his eyes. I don't know if you noticed it. 27-6 to was the final in New York or New Jersey where they played. 27-6, to the Jets lost at home to the Chargers. During the postgame handshakes, um, apparently Aaron Rodgers told a couple of the Charger players that he intends 
to play in a few weeks. His comments were caught on camera. The video went viral. Now he's saying it'll be a few fortnights. What is he in, Game of Thrones? Aaron Rodgers hinting at a return, and the Jets, they can't get him back fast enough. Uh, Steven, how much of a difference can Aaron Rodgers make? I mean, I think a lot because the Jets roster is not terrible. Like, the defense is really good, and they got some guys on offense. Brees Hall is one of the better running backs. Garrett Wilson's a really good receiver. They are just kind of missing that quarterback. And even with Zach Wilson being so bad, they're still 4-4, four and four, and they're right in the thick of it. I think Aaron Rodgers, if he comes back healthy, and he comes back, you know, what we kind of expected Aaron Rodgers to be, I think he can help a lot. I don't think that the Jets will win the Super Bowl this year just because, you know, it'd be such a quick turnaround for Rodgers. But, man, I do think that they – I really could use him, and it could really help that team a lot. All right, he's hit what the they call the danger zone in the world of uh, or you know surgery and uh, you know orthopedic surgery and uh, you know surgeries on knees and ankles and tendons and Achilles tendons. Eight to twelve weeks is kind of the final healing stage for a tendon. If Aaron Rodgers screws this up now, he risks a setback. Now, he's been walking without crutches. You saw him on the field throwing 55-yard bombs. He was kind of fooling around, you know, being mobile. Now, he's not the most mobile guy as a player. Like, he, you know, he could run a little bit, but he wasn't a guy. He's a smart player as a quarterback and avoids contact at all costs. At, at what point do you say it's okay for him to go if you're Robert Sala? Because Sala said after the game, I'm not going to say anything that he's told me. I do know that he's working really hard to get back. What what do you what would you say is the right approach to take as far as pushing Aaron Rodgers or maybe just letting this unfold more naturally? That's that is the good question because I feel like he ha- I mean obviously he has to be cleared by the doctors and if he's cleared by the doctors and Aaron Rodgers says he's okay, I kind of feel like that's that's enough. Like I know that Aaron Rodgers is going to push himself to try to get out there because he wants to play. He's itching to get out there with his team. Because he looks at this Jets roster and says, "Yeah, it's a good team. I can, you know, I could win a couple games. They're not horrible. They're not horrible. So, like, I just, I feel like as long as Rodgers understands, like, if I mess up and I re-hurt my Achilles, it probably is my career. Like, the career could be over because of it. I think you can, you can throw him out there and you feel okay about it. Like, if he signs off on it, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? I mean, I, I feel like if the doctors say it's okay, he says it's okay. He says he understands what's going on. I think it's okay to put him out there." Right now in the AFC East, it's the Dolphins at six and three, it's the Bills who don't look great at five and four, and then it's the Jets at four and four. Uh, you know, you look around the AFC, and you know there's the Baltimore with seven wins, and Jacksonville with six, and Kansas City, of course, with seven. But there's a lot of teams sitting there with four and five wins. Like, if they can get to a position where Hey, um, you know, in week, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12, they're still looking at that themselves being part of that wild card discussion. I think you start to think about it because he is the kind of player that could come in late in the year and win you three in a row to finish the season or whatnot. So right now it's at the Raiders, it's at the Bills. He's not coming back for those games. It's the Dolphins, it's the Falcons. Suddenly we start to get, you know, more towards conceivably where he could come back is right around Christmas against the Commanders, the Browns, and the Patriots to finish the year. I think if they're in this thing, come Christmas Eve, we could see Aaron Rodgers push it for those final three games. I agree with you. What a Christmas present that would be. I mean, because you look at that schedule, and it it is doable, right? Like, I think it's so doable for Zach Wilson to win a couple more games and then be right in the race, probably 7-7, seven and seven, right then going into the last three games of the year, and you go Commanders, 
that's a winnable game. The Browns is going to be a tough one. The Browns are really good. They get after the yep. quarterback, but the Patriots, that's winnable. Like they, you know, they're right in it. So I, I think you're right on with that. You look at six weeks, uh, you know, coming up with the schedule. I think Rodgers could be back by Christmas. That it, it's just shocking because it just seemed like at the time it was just a season-ending blow and the Jets season was over. But man, what a what a turnaround that would be. I just I have I find it hard to think that he's going to come back from an Achilles in season. It just seems impossible at this point, John. Like I just well, he hurt himself pretty much during pregame warmups of that opening yeah. night. You know, and it was an early game. But but I I think a lot of it has to do with. What happens around the Jets, right? Because I think the Jets can play 500 ball to that point. And so can they be a team sitting at the end of the year around 500 or game over 500? And then the question becomes, what happens with Buffalo? What happens with Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Cincinnati all at 5-3? and three? You need something to sort itself We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Baltimore. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.